so far? No, I, I you know, I'm actually, I'm, I was very happy that I heard your call because um, I talked to one of the ladies from the Federation from Australia and I told her, I said, you know, I needed something from Australia to stand next to us. So I'm surprised, you know, I was like, wow, she was, you know, she promised and she did it. <laughs> All right. Who was that that you spoke to? I cannot remember her name, but she is from the Federation and she is an Australian lady. Okay. Oh, that well. I met here in Bahrain. Oh, you met her in Bahrain. When was that? Um, about a month ago or two months ago. Okay. Well, um, well I hope um, through this article perhaps we can connect because um, I haven't come into contact with her. Um, yeah, oh. I've, I was asked by the editor of The Lamp and his name's Noel Pearson. Oh, the editor of The Lamp, mm. I see. Okay. Yeah. So maybe it's somebody else. She said, she said, I promise, and I thought, ooh. Is that her who have arranged for this or not? (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, go ahead. It's good synchronicity (laughs) in any case. Okay, so firstly, I'd just um, like you to introduce yourself and explain your professional background. Okay. Um, My name is Rula Al-Safar and I am the president of Bahrain Nursing Society. I'm also the uh, assistant professor at the College of Health Sciences. I am the head of the emergency nursing program and critical care, and the head of the international training center at the college for all the advanced life support courses, which is offered to all the doctors, nurses, and um, paramedics in Bahrain. I am certified as an advanced life support instructor from the American Heart Association. Um, I used to hold the position of the cancer support group in Bahrain, but they just had their elections, and I did not go for the election this time. And um, and I'm one of the medics who was detained for five months. I was the last female medics to leave um, jail, and I am one out of 20 who were detained uh, for the past year for serving the country and the community during the crisis and I was also acquitted um, as innocent but not my other colleagues which I am my heart goes for them and I hope that we can do something together with you guys and with everybody in the world to have the um, all the medics being uh, acquitted and when I say medics I'm talking about uh, doctors nurses paramedics and even some of the assistants who have all worked together during the crisis um, in Bahrain. Okay. And could I just ask you what first inspired you to become involved with nursing? Mm, That's a very interesting question. I actually have a diploma in pharmacy and we used to spend so much time at the lab And I used to think to myself, this is not really what I want. I want to be with people. I want to be around people. And I remember my mom. My mom, when I was a little girl, she was sick. She had cancer and she was dying. And I used to be at her bedside all the time. And I think that was one thing that made me think of going into nursing, that I need to help people. I need to be around people to help. And that's how I ended up being changing my profession from being a pharmacist um, into nursing at the time. 
And what... I'm a graduate of the uh, um, Texas Women's University, Dallas, Texas. Um, I am the first and only nurse in Bahrain who have graduated with a bachelor degree from um, the United States of America. The majority of the nurses of Bahrain here are graduate from Bahrain per se, but I was I'm the only one from the United States, and there is one from Iraq at the time. Yeah. Okay. And what has been your experience as a nurse in Bahrain before February 14 last year? So in your career preceding that time? Um, I used to, when I used to study in the United States, I used to come on holidays to Bahrain and I used to volunteer at the hospital. And there were a lot of things that I see and I always thought to myself, I need to change this. I need to change this when I come back. I did come back, and um, that's when I decided that I need to enter the educational field and be as an educator, because this way I can reach to the first, reach the uh, nurse at the first step into the profession, and that's why I end up doing this. And then I decided I need more than that. I need to be specialized in emergency and critical care because I saw during my teaching um, to the nurses and taking them on their clinical rounds that there is a lot of uh, need of training in the emergency and critical care. So I ended up um, having my master's degree in emergency critical care. And from there, I have my master's in family nurse practitioner and my master's in nursing education. And that put me all together. Hello, Rula. And oh, yes? you, you cut out there just for a moment. Uh, okay. um, so okay. uh, I got up to master's in nursing when you were speaking about your master's in nursing care. Okay. Um, I I got my master's in critical care emergency and my master in nursing education, and I'm the first uh, Bahraini nurse to have her master's in family nurse practitioner. I did all this in two years' time, uh, and I have enjoyed every bit of it. I got my master's from Widener University in uh, Chester, uh, Pennsylvania, and Philadelphia, and. Um, from there, um, I started that started to teach and um, educate the nurses, and then I had to have more than that because it wasn't enough. So I was asked to be, enter the election for the uh, Bahrain Nursing Society, and I did. And since we entered 2005, and we have done so many changes that it is unbelievable one of these changes or some of these changes and or the main ones um the main one was um asking for to change the nursing cadre or cater as you pronounce it um the nurses here are on the general scale in bahrain and we had a campaign called uh, release nursing cadre and the requirements was if they have a bachelor degree in nursing they need to be um, on the professional scale and not on the general scale. And that's how all the pain for the nursing society started. Um, this was a huge campaign that stayed for about two years. We were accused of saying bad words to the government. And the idea was not this. The idea was to come and be different than the government 
And this is what unions are all about. Unions are, or societies, are about calling for fairness and justice to the nurses, and that's exactly what the Bahrain Nursing Society has um, done. And we were targeted since then. During that time, we had for the first time to celebrate Nurses' Day. They, they in, the, in the previous years, they used to uh, celebrate Nurses' Day on among just the societies, but we, from 2005, the Bahrain Nursing Society, we started to celebrate Nursing Day on a larger scale with everybody. We had celebrations on the streets of Bahrain. Uh, on 2008, we were able to work with the post office here in Bahrain to um, to publish the first stamp with nurses on it for, for in the celebration of Nurses' Day. And to us, that's a big, um, uh, what do you call it? That's a big achievement for us. Plus, we were able to move the nurses um, which lasted, our campaign lasted for two, three years, um, to uh, be able to convince the government that nurses with a bachelor degree should be on the professional level, and they did move them to the professional level, but not to our uh, standards and achievement that we wanted. We needed higher than that on uh, salary payment uh, um, base. Um, we still requested that there are a lot of nurses or the majority of nurses in Bahrain, they are diploma carriers. And this is because the government was not offering any bachelor degree. Rula, are you there? Can you hear me? Hello. Rula, can you hear me at all? Okay, can you hear me? Sure. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, so you were just um, you were telling us a bit about uh, the campaign for better wages for nurses in Bahrain. Did you want to just? Yes. Yeah, I'll start with the campaign. Um, we started our campaign and we call it uh, Re uh, Release Nursing Cadre. And the idea was of it to increase the salaries of nurses. Hello, can you hear me? If you can, it's cut out again. We majority of the time we use our mobile and we don't use the <laughs> Okay. I'm ready. Okay, <coughs> wonderful. So yes, you were just explaining um a the, campaign for the, better wages. Yeah. Okay, um, we'll go back. Um, the campaign was about uh, releasing nursing cadre, and the campaign idea was to consider the nurses on the professional scale because nurses in Bahrain are considered on the uh, regular scale. We started this campaign by wearing an orange ribbon and going to work with a badge that says uh, release nursing cadre, and then after a month we wore uh, the red color, uh, red ribbon and then it was Ramadan time which is the fasting month so we wore the white ribbon as a piece and then we wore the black one and during this time we were harassed by the Ministry of Health uh, the nurses who wore the badges they were um, 
uh, forbidden from going into scholarship. Um, they were um, blacklisted. And they were punished just because we were wearing badges saying that we need increased salary. Although we never stopped working, we continued to work with wearing the uh, badges. Eventually, this continued for about um, seven, eight months. And then we had one of the crises, and um, my colleague, uh, the executive secretary, Brahim Dimistani, was detained for uh, helping uh, a protester who was shot by a, a bird pellet's uh, shotgun. And he was detained for a week, and we have requested for him to be released from prison. And then they, um, the government unfortunately attacked us, and they closed the Bahrain Nursing Society, and they overtaken our, uh, our society. And since then, we don't have a place, but we continue to work from our homes uh, because we believe that we haven't done anything wrong and that we are just um, helping others uh, in Bahrain. And how crucial did the networks that you developed through that campaign become during the post-February 14 crisis? Um, during the February um, 2011, actually, the network enlarged because a lot of people, a majority of nurses in Bahrain are Shia, which is um, um, Shia nurses who are, um, they live in the villages, and that's where the hit started on the villages in Bahrain. So we know the pain very much. Um, the idea of volunteering is one of the bases or the aims or the objectives of the Bahrain uh, Nursing Society. So people had to come and volunteer at the hospital, and I did not have a problem at all. You will be shocked by the nurses who just call me and phone me, and they said, keep my phone number with you and call me whenever you need somebody extra. And you didn't have to even call because whenever there were crises at the time, um, the nurses, paramedics, um, even first aiders, you will see them running to the hospital. So we had a huge um, outcome from nurses to be coming to Bahrain, uh, I mean, to come to the crisis or to come to the hospital to help. We were there day and night. Uh, we did not sleep for four or five days, but we never thought ever that the government will um, uh, honor us by being detained and being sacked and being uh, suspended from work. <clears throat> this one, we never saw it coming. Um, even when they detained us, <clears throat> some of us were detained in jail, and then we always thought to ourselves, oh, you know, there's nothing wrong. Um, maybe it's just for uh, investigation. Maybe it's just for, uh, you know, um, they're looking into the matter. But we never thought that this is, this is a sectarian act against only Shia nurses because uh, people who have worked at the hospital during the crisis were from different nationalities. It's not only Bahrainis. We were Bahraini Sunni Shia. We were um, Indians, Filipinos, um, people who had uh, from different Arab origins. Um, they were, were all working at the hospital. But the shocking, um, the first shock that came to us was when we were in jail to see everybody who was detained were Shia. 
And what about the others? We were all there. And you can see the videos and you can, you know, it's all over the place that we were different nationalities working together. If the medics did something wrong, then they should have detained everybody who was working at the emergency room at the time. But surprisingly, no, it was certain people. After we were released, you know, we came to know that our names was listed from the 13th of March. They had a big list of targeted people to target them to um, detain them. Yes. And I understand that in June 2004, the World Health Organization Regional Office for the Eastern Mediterranean convened the sixth meeting of the Regional Advisory Panel on Nursing and the Consultation on Disaster Nursing and Preparedness Mitigation, Response and Recovery in Manama, Bahrain, and you participated in that. Could anything have prepared you for the persecution of medics during the crackdown following February 14? Um, you know, we uh, yes, I was in that meeting, and as a matter of fact, uh, World Health Organization have sent me as a consultant for emergency and disaster management to Jordan in 2010, and we were working on how to train nurses uh, during disasters. I was also sent as a consultant to uh, Japan and to China, but you know what? One thing that never prepared you to, I was prepared for the disaster, yes, and that's why I was there. I'm a graduate with a master's degree in emergency nursing program, I mean in emergency and disaster management, um, but I never thought that I will be detained. I never thought that they will detain the medics. I never thought that the medics will be targeted. See, there's a different two issues. Were we prepared? Yes, we were prepared. And we've worked our buns off during that time. We were so organized where anytime they needed a nurse from the hospital, they will call me and they say, we need an ICU nurse, we need a, a theater nurse, we need this or that, and I have my nurses ready who are members of the Bahrain Nursing Society. We are very prepared, and we said, okay, we're going to go. When the ambulances used to come, we need to supply them. When we started having civilian cars as an ambulance, we had to prepare civilian cars to be ambulances. We fixed it. Yes, we were prepared to manage disasters. But the shocking thing was that my own government, my own people to detain us for working and helping the the ill people and the protesters who were um, injured, that's, that's a shock, and it's still a shock. Until this day, I'm talking to you, and I'm free. I have been acquitted, but I am still shocked. I cannot believe I'm in my own home. And it definitely has shocked the world as well. I mean, since the persecution of medics in Bahrain, there has been international outcry from health organisations, as you would know, such as the International Council of Nurses, the World Health Organisation, the International Red Cross, and the list goes on. I'd like to ask you um, just uh that most of the discourses have centred around the question of medical neutrality. How would you define medical neutrality and the importance of medical neutrality during times of political crisis? Okay. Um, You know, although we have the Geneva Convention, and the Geneva Convention, it's... uh, the government have signed a treaty that any time during the war 
that the medics are protected whenever they're wearing their lab coat, whenever they have the red crescent on their tents, that they are being protected. Well, unfortunately, Bahrain government never respected that because we did have a tent, we did have the red crescent, we did, we were wearing our lab coats and we were all detained. That's number one. Two, I thank the international arena for their pressure to help us and to help the medics. And I hope they continue because there are nine who have been acquitted and there are nine who have not been acquitted yet. And we need all the um, accusation to be dropped and that they are innocent because we know the world knows that they are innocent. We have 28 um, medics who are misdemeanors who are still in court. So don't think that the 29 have acquitted and the other than there's nothing wrong, there's, everything is peaceful. No, because the medics, um, they are divided into felonies, 20 felonies and 28 misdemeanors. The 20 felonies, um, two of them because they ran away, so they are overseas. Um, the 189 have been acquitted and nine not, so we need them to drop the charges and they need, they need to be acquitted. And we still have 28 in court till this day, too. They are on trial who are the misdemeanors. Talking about um, the uh, medical neutrality, when we talk about medical neutrality, we are talking about international uh, human law. We are talking about human rights law, and we are talking about the medical ethics. This is all gets together, and that's what develops the medical neutrality. I think the nursing education and the medical education need to, they need to add this perspective to their courses, which called uh, medical neutrality. People need to be aware of the human rights law. Yes, we teach medical ethics, but we need to have plus human rights law plus the international human rights law, even the international human uh, rights labor law, the ILO. People need to know all these laws and how can it protect them. Um, if we had medical neutrality, and we should have, and I urge the minute I left um, prison, I urged the WHO, I urged the um, United Nurse, uh, United Nation, that they need to sign a new treaty called medical neutrality, and whoever works in crisis is being protected. I believe if the nine my colleagues are not being acquitted. And if the 28 misdemeanors are not being acquitted, I'm very worried about the medical uh, and health societies in the world because it is here in Bahrain. It can reach you in Australia. It can reach anywhere, especially with the crisis and the economy that's going on in, around the world. As the director of the International um, Council of Nurses said, it's a very dangerous precedent to set, isn't it? Yes. Um, I cannot believe that they would um, punish um, nine medics. When you look at these medics, it's very funny how even um, their years of punishments are different um, accusation. Um, one of them is three years, the other one is uh, four, five years, and the rest a year, nine months, three months, based on what? How can you take nine and equip them being innocent 
from being accused at the military court of 15 years. I was accused by the military court for 15 years. And after 15 years, I am totally innocent. If I am innocent, and if the nine others with me are innocent, then all of us are innocent. We were all together. We are one family. We work together very hard, and we need to all be acquitted. And I really, really urge you through your station, through your people, that we need to put pressure still on the, um, on the government in Bahrain. We have uh, four people who are detained still. Um, an emergency nurse, his name is Hassan Matouk. He was sentenced to three years in prison, and his accusation is public gathering. And the main idea is not the public gathering as much as he's, his hobby was carrying a camera. And during the crisis, he had a camera. He has been in jail for the past year and a half, and he's still serving. And he, um, his case went into the appeal, and then from the appeal went to what we call cassation. And they said, no, we'll continue. All charges have been dropped except for public gathering, and he's sentenced to three years. He is 26 years old. He's a father to six-year-old kid. We have uh, Mr. Yunus Ashur. He is a 60 years old. He is an admin to uh, Muharraq Hospital. <clears throat> he was accused of sending an uh, oxygen cylinder to the medical tent. Although he had nothing to do with that, his superiors have sent the order, and they called him from home to come and do the order for him. And they detained him, and they sentenced him to three years in prison. His case is still in um, the appeal courts. And believe it or not, the witness, only the, he, they have one witness for him to accuse him of that, and that witness is the same guy who have interrogated and tortured all of us, the medics, all of us. He is the only witness for his. So he is in jail, and he's been in jail for a year and a half. We have Ahmed al-Mushattad. He is a pharmacist. This pharmacist all what he did was carry from the big hospital, Samania Hospital, some medication and stuff to take it to the crisis area, which is was Citra at the time, because nobody was able to enter Citra, and he knew the way to get into Citra. So he was taking equipment to the health center there to help the um, injured people. He's sentenced to three years in jail. And a student who was just, he graduated medical student from the Ukraine, he was detained um, two months ago, um, uh, four, five months ago, and he's going to finish his um, six months um, punishment or whatever you want to call it, sentencing is of six months, he will finish it in July, he will be released. So I am really, really, we are all worried about the three people who are in jail and it's, they've been there for a year and a half. I don't think they are the same group. We were all big one family helping during the crisis. I have no idea why these three people been targeted and sentenced to jail, and they were judged and accused separately than the group, the big group, but they were the first to be detained to start with. And, and I don't want the um, international arena to forget the three people too. And Rula, could you please tell us a bit about your personal experience of being arrested and your time in, de in detention? Um, my detention is similar to all other people's detention. 
Um, although I was not dragged from home like my other colleagues, and I, when I say my other colleagues, I'm talking about medics, teachers, sports people, um, journalists, uh, you just name it. Everybody's been attacked in Bahrain. The difference was that I had a phone call and they told me they've asked me to come into interrogation. And I said, I can't come to interrogation now. It's 7.30 at night. I will come tomorrow morning. And he refused. And he said, if you don't come right now, then we're going to pick you up. So I ended up going to um, the, the interrogation at the criminal investigation department. They refused to allow my husband to come in. And they told him, come in in two hours' time. She will be done. You can come and pick her up. So he felt safe that he will pick me up. But it never happened. The minute I entered the criminal investigation department, they closed the doors and they handcuffed me, which is similar to all my colleagues, and blindfolded me and they started pushing me and cussing at me and harassing me and beating me. Um, I was taken to a small cell, which was freezing cold, and they kept you standing for hours and hours and hours. Um, I can't even remember when I sat down. Um, I remember at a time, because I heard my other colleague coming in, they just detained her after me with four hours. So I realized, oh, I've been standing for a long time, because she was telling me after four hours I was detained when we were out. Um, and then during the whole week, uh, we were deprived from sleeping. And I'm talking all of us is the same thing. <laughs> we were deprived from sleeping. We were beaten. We were electrocuted and sexually harassed. Um, um, threatened by uh, rape. Um, I had my hair cut. Um, I had some electric stunt guns used on me. I actually actually burned my hair with it. Um, they would stand you in the hallway, and you can tell that your colleagues are standing next to you, and they have a paper on your back. I found out later on that it says like you're a donkey or something and this would allow anybody who comes through the hallway to beat you to pinch you to say whatever they want to you so um and that was the case for a whole week um deprived from sleep even in the middle of the night like three o'clock in the morning um after you know they and they the torture starts from five o'clock in the afternoon till three o'clock, 3.30 in the morning. This is a continuation. And then they take you back to your cell, and then they will come and ask you to um, sing the national anthem, to sing, to imitate uh, different voices of animals, uh, to sing songs for them, to dance for them, or to run and hit a wall. This is, this is yani, typical of all of us in Bahrain have experienced all this. Um, and then we were in detention. They detained us in the women's detention center, which they deprive you from sleep. Um, they make you, of course, uh, they slay you slave by cleaning and carrying heavy things and so on. Um, they don't allow you to go take a shower. At the beginning, it was like you have to shower. You have three minutes to finish shower. Even going to the bathroom is like one minute. Things were not got a little bit better in the detention center until uh, Basuni uh, group came in and Ashton from Europe came in to Bahrain or she was planning to come into Bahrain. Things got better in the detention. But the harassment and the verbal abuse, um, it was unbelievable. 
And I don't think we can forget all this. I don't think I will or others will forget this. The question mark is this. Do we deserve all this? Now that I have in jail, been in jail for five months with all this and then acquitted as an innocent, who's going to pay for all this pain? Um, nurses at the present time, they are sacked. They are suspended. Um, believe it or not, I'm going to go to nursing because the nursing is my heart. Um, believe it or not, nurses right now, um, they have taken them from their specialty, removed from their specialties to other areas. Um, example, emergency nurses who used to work during the crisis, they moved them totally from the emergency department into an infection uh, department. Or a nurse who used to work at the theater, and he's seen the autocracy of this country, he was moved into the psychiatric hospital. Or the cardiac center, nurses who are specialized in the cardiac center, are moved into geriatric hospital. Since we're talking about nursing, how safe is nursing in Bahrain at the present time? To move specialized nurses from their areas to other areas. They are moving, and specifically, Shia nurses, and that's what Sectarian Act is all about. What the government is doing right now is Sectarian Act, even in, on behalf of the um, medical um, personnel. This is not fair, and this is telling you that this country is unsafe in their health. I want the nursing arena and the international arena to know, for the first time ever, I don't think the medical trials was the first ever in history, and I know we entered history with this case because I don't think it's ever happened all over the world. And I hope the medics all over the world to start being aware of something called medical neutrality and to stand by us until we are all acquitted because otherwise it's going to happen to them. This is number one in history. And number two in history, which I don't think you've ever heard of, is have you ever heard of having 110 nurses being unemployed? In the history, with all the shortage that we have all over the world, well, guess what? Bahrain has it. We have 60 nurses who have graduated from the uh, 10 of them, 20 of them from the Royal College of uh, Ireland and the other one from the College of Health Sciences. They have been for the past two years at home, and they're not employing them because they are Shia. We have another 50 students just graduated from nursing school, and they are unemployed till this minute as we speak because they are Shia. They have hired the, the Sunni part of them, but not the Shia. So tell me, is this fair, what's going on in Bahrain? Can you imagine that you do this in Australia by having a Catholic and whatever? Yes, I mean, it's completely astonishing and it's very blatant discrimination. Yes, and in your station, you are the first one to hear about the nurses being unemployed, by the way. We're trying to reach the world to pressure the Minister of Health to employ these people. Mm -hmm. You know, in the past, nurses used to enter, we used to work so hard in the 60s and the 70s, all over the world, to ask people to come into the profession of nursing. 
And in Bahrain, people started to get into the nursing profession because it was a guaranteed job. Once you graduate, you will have a job due to the severe shortage we have in Bahrain. And then we, had, we were able to Bahrainize nursing, meaning the majority of the nurses used to be Indians and Filipinos, and now 62% are Bahrainis. But after the crisis, we're going backward. You, it's amazing what you see in the government hospital. They wouldn't hire 110 Bahraini nurses who are graduate, and mind you, they're not an associate degree. They are bachelor degree holders in nursing. They won't hire them, but they would hire um, Indian nurses and Filipino nurses who are a diploma, who work on a, in a clinic to come into the hospital, into the emergency department, into the critical care areas to work. Mm. Have you ever heard of that? Where is the International Council of Nursing of all this? With all respect to the ICN, the ICN have issued two letters at the beginning of the crisis, and because of the pressure of the different federations, they have issued another in the 22nd of March, but nothing else. Do they know that the uh, executive secretary of Bahrain Nursing Society, he was sentenced to three years in jail? You know, when they accused the nurses in Libya and in Iraq, I was one of the people who stood against the, against the order for them, and I wrote letters in order to release them, and they've released all these nurses because I believe nurses and medics are innocent. They have nothing to do with politicians. But I don't see this going on from the ICN toward the nurses in Bahrain. And from your experience, in what ways can nurses best organise to apply p political pressure on their governments, either in Bahrain or internationally in solidarity with nurses in Bahrain? I think they need to pressure their governments to pressure the governments here. I think they need to voice their opinions in every arena they meet. I think the ICN, they need to pressure the ICN to have uh, an... an um, and an emergency meeting concerning the nurses in Bahrain, and an emergency meeting to start thinking about medical neutrality and how we can implement it in the nursing education. Mm -hmm. I think all of us, we need to appeal to the United Nations that the medics have to be acquitted and have to be released from Bahrain. If it's in Bahrain, trust me, it's going to come all over the world. I know that. And how central has the international outrage at the treatment of Bahraini medics been to harnessing international pressure on the Bahraini government? I have to tell you that the humanitarian uh, organization from the states and Europe have been great. The Federation from Europe has been great. The Royal College of Nursing from Ireland, have, from UK, have been excellent. The Irish community are incredible, absolutely incredible. They've had so many protests, so many speakers. Uh, so, I mean, they have voiced their opinion all over. They wrote letters to the Ministry of Health. They need here in Bahrain. They wrote letters to the King. Uh, they had petitions. Uh, you know, even for your people in um, Australia, if they want to know how the medics have suffered and although I don't have my story there yet because I'm helping writing others um, go to www.doctorsinchain.org by Frank Reed Dolan and she have all our stories this woman has been incredible she's from Ireland and she's been helping I 
I, I can't tell you how much I want the three people to be released from prison and how much my colleagues to be acquitted. And I need the nurses to go to work, 110 graduates with a bachelor degree who are the breadwinner for their families, and they cannot go to work because of the sectarian act that we have here in Bahrain. We have three, can you imagine, three medical students. They were stopped from their last semester in medical school in Saudi Arabia, and they were handed to the Bahraini authorities across the bridge, and they were stopped, uh, they put on hold from continuing their education. And now they are acquitted, and still the university in Saudi Arabia is not allowing them to go back to school. What are you going to talk about? These people have studied medical school in their last semester. Another one from the same school in Dammam University, he was sacked from the medical school, and guess for what? Just because he was giving a presentation and he had the flag of Bahrain, he had the flag of Bahrain on his PC. Is this a crime? So now we have four medical students who cannot finish their last semester. I urge the medical schools all over the world, if they want to, they can give them a scholarship to take them back and let them finish this year that they have. I urge the nursing societies to put pressure that all these nurses who are Shia need to be back to employment. You know, even, can you imagine even in the hospital, to tell you how bad the sectarian act here in Bahrain is, all the Shia nurses have been demoted. So you are not, uh, even the doctors, all the medics who are Shia, you are demoted. You are not, have, uh, you are not a head of any department. You are not, you are nobody. You're just in the hospital and doing your work. To the point, the wards that they have Shia, they won't even have nursing assistants, so they will do all the work. That is how bad it is in Bahrain. And could you tell us a bit about what's um, what the what the state um, of affairs is at the Salmania Medical Complex at the moment? Is it still under the control of Bahraini security yes. forces? Actually, I'm glad you've asked me this question because now we have three militarized hospitals. So that means the protesters cannot go there. Us, as a Bahrain Nursing Society, we are training people to be first aiders. We have done around 1,000 people in less than a year. We have trained 1,000 people in less than a year to be um, first aiders. Uh, protesters cannot enter the hospitals because once they are entered the hospital, they are detained. I'll tell you a story that happened two, three months ago. There was one of the protesters. He was run over by the police car. They detained him. They took him to the hospital. The doctor in the hospital, because he's so, uh, he's sectarian, he said that he's not an emergency doctor. He's, sorry, he's not an emergency case. Leave him on the side. So this uh, protester was on the side. And two doctors were arguing whether he should be an emergency or not an emergency. Finally, they did an ultrasound for him. He had a ruptured spleen. He ended up dying on the table. Of course, before they took him to the Salmania hospital, they have detained him, interrogated him, tortured him, and then they took him to the hospital. This is the situation for the protesters in Bahrain. We had another protester. He was hit by a tear gas canister, which caused a trauma and massive bleeding in his brain. And the family members could not take him anywhere. By the time they took him to the hospital, to a private hospital, he died. 
The health authority here in Bahrain have circulated a letter mandating all private hospitals not to attend to any protester without informing the Ministry of Interior. People used to feel a safe haven or they would are willing, although they are so poor, they're willing to pay money to take their children if they were injured to the private hospitals. Now, nobody is going to a hospital nor a private hospital. We had another protester. He was burned. He did not go to the hospital until the last minute. He had 50% burns. He ended up dying in the hospital because he had infection because he stayed at home. That's the situation in Bahrain. Mm-hmm. So all hospitals are being militarized. Pros- uh, protesters cannot go there. People are afraid to go there. Even if you go to the nursing college, believe it or not, they have um, soldiers all over it. Mm-hmm. Nursing school. Of course, the nursing society, because we are um, at the premises of the uh, the hospital, and we had this premises for, since back in 1992, because we wanted to be close to the nurses for continuing education and so on. Now it's occupied by the right police. Our documents, our papers, everything is in there. It's um, it's like. I, I was reading that the general manager of MSF described the Salmania medical complex as a prison and it sounds like a lot of medical um, complexes and, so, and facilities are being, are being essentially turned into prisons. Yes. What, what sorts of home operating theatres or underground medical treatment is being arranged? How are nurses and medics arranging? Well, we are arranging everybody. We don't know everybody. We train people to be first aiders, and then every area have their own, um, like clinics, or we call them clinics. People's homes are being arranged to be clinics. Um, We try, we have a lot of donors who buy uh, medications and bandages and uh, stuff that we need for our patients, and every area organize their own selves. Um, Different kind of injuries we see and we treat, uh, lots and lots and lots of um, the shotgun bird pellets, um, injuries, eye injuries. You will come to Bahrain, you're going to see a lot of people with one eye because the right police make sure that they hit the eye area. We had one protester, was, um, he was not even a protester. He was a journalist, and he was with his camera taking pictures, and he was hit in his private area. So the right police are trained very well by Timothy, the one Timothy who's coming from um, Garland, Texas, and by Yates, who is from UK. They're training their people very well to shoot in the private areas or the face. Um, yesterday, two days ago, Zainab al-Khawaja was hit in her leg. She was walking. The thing is, these protesters are peaceful. They have nothing in their hands, nothing, and they shoot them with a shotgun. If it's not a shotgun, we have the tear gas. The tear gas is like a, a general punishment to the villages on a nightly basis. It always starts at 9 o'clock. We start tear gas in the villages, and then by 2 o'clock they start um, attacking homes and detaining people. 
Of course, now, because they are worried about the international arena, they detain people, they hit them, they abuse them, they might even sexually rape them, and then they throw, throw them on the streets and pick them up. And during the daytime, you will come to Bahrain, you'll say, oh, nothing wrong in Bahrain. <laughs> it all happens at night. We know the timing, 9, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. So we, as um, uh, Bahrain Nursing Society, we're running first aid classes, how to deal with um, uh, different injuries that might happen in Bahrain. It's amazing work that you're doing, Rulla, and I'd just like to express <clears throat> my extreme respect um, and and admiration for you and all of your colleagues and all Thank of the you. people on the ground in, in Bahrain who are affronting such crisis conditions. And you, I, I'd really just like to ask you, what keeps you strong? What, um, what do you hold on to as the days I unfold? Faith that freedom is coming. I believe in faith. I have so much faith in God, you have no idea. You know, I don't know if you know that or not. After all this, um, I was nominated and ranked number 11 out of 500 people as the most influential personalities in the Arab world by Business Arabia. You can go on Business Arabia and see that. And to have this, that tells me that what I'm doing is right and that I have to stay strong for my people and freedom is coming. It's just a matter of being persistent and patient. And I need to stay strong and persistent and patient to the people of Bahrain, to the medics who are detained because I know they are innocent and they need to be released to the medics who have been sentenced to jail, who are waiting to be their case to go to cassation, my colleagues, my, my dear colleagues, and to the other 28 misdemeanors who are on trial. I don't think it's time for us to cry, not yet. We have to stay strong until the end, and then we can cry. But it's not time to waste my energy on something that, uh, you don't cry over spilled milk. It's over, it's gone. Continue, look straight, focus. Um, and this is what I used to do in jail. I used to tell myself, they will hit you, they will do this, that is fine. You are stronger than that. And God is there, and just have faith. And I still have faith. And if there was one message that you wanted to relay to nurses in Australia, what would that be? I want to tell the nurses that we are the, um, the spinal cord of the health field. And the spinal cord, if it gets broken, you are paralyzed. And this is what's happening in Bahrain. Um, we need to stay strong and we need to stand together. It doesn't matter where you're from. As a nurse, whether we are nurses, we are the same all over the world and if they have accused abused and tortured nurses in Bahrain and sentenced them to jail Bahrain is not that far from Australia or any part of the world and right now we are at the at the microscope 
and I hope that we continue through their work and through their help. And I really beg the nurses to push and pressure the ICN because I, with unfortunately, I have to say that, I am extremely mad uh, regarding the International Council of Nursing because I don't see them standing next to us at all. I can't wait for their next meeting in 2013, and I'll make sure to be there to voice my opinion if they don't change their uh, way of dealing with nurses in Bahrain and to stand with them and not against them. And I think the nurses have a great power to put pressure on them, for them to put pressure on the government and to help the nurses in Bahrain. It's true what you said, that here in Australia we are not that far away from Bahrain. We do have um, a, a community of Bahraini refugees in Sydney and Melbourne who have formed the Bahraini Australian Youth Movement and they're yep. doing great work out here in raising the profile of the of the re- crisis in Bahrain and um, harnessing you know broad community support for the people's pro-democracy movement over there. I'd just like to ask you one more question on behalf of my colleague, um, if you'd like to comment on the fact that this crisis in Bahrain has caused many people to flee the country. Would you consider these refugees refugees of war? Yes. You know, one of the things they tortured me at uh, during when I was in detention was they asked, who wrote about the Geneva Convention? I said, I wrote about the Geneva Convention. And they said, how did you know about it? I said, because I was educated about the Geneva Convention in the United States, and I knew about it. And they said, do you think you are in a war? I said, not really a war. A war is when a foreign comes and attacks your country, which they did. The Saudis came and attacked my country. But our war is worse than anybody else's war. Our own people, our own government eating their own people. It's like the kitty, the cat is eating her own children. And that is a war. I think anybody attacks somebody is a war. It does regardless of whom they are. And when you attack and prison and torture and destroy homes and destroy properties and vandalize areas, you can come to different villages here in Bahrain. You can say, oh, my God, it's a war zone. Yes, it is a war zone. And people who got out for their safety that's great. As long as they voice the opinion of Bahrain and talk about it and continue with the case, yes. Uh, Yes, I will call them refugees. And I think there are a lot in Australia, in UK, in US. I think a lot of people here in Bahrain, if they have the financial ability or if they have the chance to leave, they will leave. But I will not leave. I will never leave Bahrain not without my colleagues, not without my people. They are my people. I'm here to stay. You're a very strong woman, Rulla, and very Thank inspiring. You. Thank you so much for Thank sharing you. your God story you. and your wisdom and and your incredible insights into what's happening. Now, um, I'm just going to stop recording. <laughs>